You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Bob Odom, who serves in the pastoral team at LifeGate Church. You can find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Good morning to you. If you're wondering where Josh is, the Jordans are, I believe they're in Round Rock this morning, but Josh spent the whole week in uh, Louisville at a, a pastor's, um, at the pastor's college, taking a course there that was for the week on the uh, course on the Holy Spirit. And so he got back and they, they were going to take this opportunity to head to Round Rock to the Sovereign Grace Church and visit some of the folks there. So. <clears throat> That's one reason why I'm up here. Now, I, w- I want to read a text um, that maybe sounds like a bit of an odd text, but it's Hebrews 13:5. And I want us to think today about the sufficiency of Christ for our contentment. Are we content? <laughs> the sufficiency of Christ for our contentment. Hebrews 13:5 addresses one aspect of that contentment, and here's what it says. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That comes as kind of a, it's kind of a conglomeration, closing thoughts in this 13th chapter of Hebrews, a wonderful book. And, and right at the end, he starts talking about about marriage and, and about uh, hospitality and angels and about, about even this thing of contentment. So, I have a reason for wanting to begin there today and to address this. As most of you know, um, Cindy's mother, Frances Harris, passed from this life uh, in August, just a few days after her 96th birthday. And she lived with us for nine years and off and on for several months, even um, at a time years before that. But for nine, nine years, she came to, to live with us most of the time. And she attended here in church until she was just unable to, to get out and, and come anymore. Um, but I observed something in her life. I observed just a depth of contentment and joy throughout lots of loss because, you know, when you live to be 96 years old, you're going to lose some things. She lost the ability to drive. She lost uh, a lot of people and friends and family. She, she experienced a lot of loss, including the loss of the ability to live independently. She lost her ability to walk. She experienced loss, but in all of it, I, I just, uh, I'm, I have to admit, I just was kind of standing amazed because in observing her life and even observing her death, there was such a depth of contentment in her life that it led me to think something. I want to study contentment in the scriptures more than I've ever done before and to know what is this contentment that we do find written about in Scripture, and even the one like in Hebrews 13, 5. 
Now, what is this contentment that helps us to have a, a sense of contentment and fulfillment even all throughout every aspect of life, even to death, even to be able to die in peace? And so I want to share with you today just some aspects of my study. It's a little bit different, different kind of sermon, I know, than, than you might be used to, and, and, but this is what's been on my heart to share. This is what, some of what, a, a little bit of what I've drawn out of this time of studying God's Word on this subject of contentment. So what in the world is contentment? Now, in the New Testament, there's only a couple of words. One's a noun and one's a verb, so the same root. That, that are used and often translated contentment. And they don't mean anything very surprising to us. They're translated sufficient, something that is adequate or having all sufficiency, something that's enough, something that satisfies, something that fulfills. And that's, that's the word that normally is translated contentment or to be content. So I thought it would be helpful. I found, I, I sorted through all kinds of things I heard other people say about contentment, and I, I picked three that I wanted to share with you today. And they're good, thanks to Joseph, who came this morning, unknown to him, he was going to have to type and type and type and type some more. So thank you, Joseph. Here's one of them. F.F. F. Bruce, a great Bible scholar, said about this passage in Hebrews 13.5. He said, but the carefree contentment of which he, the writer of Hebrews, speaks is not an irresponsible improvidence. It springs from an intelligent trust in God and acceptance of his promises. Trusting what God has said in his word brings truth into our lives and brings that truth to bear in just so many ways, and it produces a fulfilling contentment in our hearts and in our lives because it gives us a lens through which to look at, at people and events and circumstances, the, the good and the bad. It gives us a lens in which to look because that's what God's truth does for us. So the truth gives us sort of a context by which we live our lives and see the circumstances of our lives. But, and this kind of contentment, when he, when he says it is, it is not an irresponsible improvidence, it's not like something that is uncaring, or it's not like saying all ambition is wrong or something like that. Uh, it's not that at all, and it's not being passive. But we're encouraged all the way through the, the Word of God to serve the Lord with everything that we have. We're encouraged to, the way we go about life is to go about that life with some energy and enthusiasm and care and love. The way we make friendships, the way we go into our marriage, the way we parent, the way we have every relationship, it's not something passive. It's something that's active, and faith itself is active. But so what is meant to be content if it doesn't mean all that lack of ambition and care? Well, the truths of God's Word lead us to a stability and a certainty and a sufficiency that is just not bound by time and circumstance. 
Paul Tripp, in his uh, a book, New Morning Mercies, if you haven't ever read that, man, a book. New Morning Mercies for January 6th. Paul Tripp said this, The contented heart is satisfied with the giver and is therefore freed from craving the next gift. You can see then why the writer of Hebrews would say, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Is that possible? Is that possible? Think of all the things that he could have chosen to talk about right there, about a husband, a wife, be content with your wife, be content with your husband, be content with your children, children be content with your parents, be content and your jobs, I don't know. He could have said all kinds of things, but he chose something that we all understand, money. Be content with what you have. Guard your life, care about your life, keep your life free from the love of money. Are we contented with the giver of everything that we have? Is there what Paul wrote this to the to the Corinthians? He said, do you, do you have anything that you didn't receive? That's kind of humbling. <laughs> do we have anything that we didn't receive? Now we could stand up and say, Yeah, I, I I work for all this. Well, yes, yes, but who gave you the opportunity to even do that? It's one of the things that I've just I've been impressed so much for when I talk to missionaries, and, and I hear so many of them, like Jake and Carol, but others, there just are there are many people in this world just do not have the opportunities that you and I have. Some do, but a lot don't. We've got opportunity. We have hope. We have vision. We can look ahead because there are many things that are kind of laid before us that are not always there uh, in many lives contented heart loves the giver. Do we have anything that we didn't receive? Not really. The giver, God, are we contented with him? Are we just looking for the next step in what's coming or what might be coming? Martin Lloyd-Jones, another one of my old heroes, said this, It is because people think that this is the only life and world that they fight for the last ounce. But what are 60, 70, or 80 years compared with eternity? There's a good question. Is there ever enough time? Um, We kind of don't think so. What about this thing of eternity, and what does it have to do with our contentment? Well, here's where I'd like for us to go and look at at Hebrews in a little bit broader picture that led to this text in chapter 13, verse 5. Well, it is the revelation of the eternal that invades our world, invades our thoughts, invades our beliefs, invades our values, the revelation of the eternal affects us and gives us certainty and gives us confidence to live in a very uncertain world. And, if I may say it, even to die at peace. So, what is eternal that produces that kind of contentment 
that is not bound by time or circumstance. I never had noticed this before, but in my recent reading through Hebrews, I found that there are eight things that are said to be eternal in this little epistle. If we had eight weeks, I'd like to take every single one of them and go through it, but we've got a few minutes and they're going to be listed. There they are. Eight things said to be eternal in Hebrews. Here they are and the verses are there if you want to jot them down or if you're taking notes, but I won't even read all the verses, but here are the things that are said to be eternal. Eternal salvation. Are you glad for that? I grew up in a totally different understanding of salvation. If sort of salvation, I don't maybe not, I should have put it in quotes, but there was if you're good enough, you can keep your salvation. And if you're not good enough, you're going to lose your salvation. And if you sin and die before you repent of that sin, you're lost. And I grew up thinking, wow, uh, I don't think I have a chance to hear. But our, our salvation does not depend on us. Of course, we believe and repent. Yes, we enter into it through the way that God has called us to. But our salvation is accomplished by Jesus, thankfully. So it's said to be eternal salvation. Now, just to get the flip side of the coin, judgment is also said to be eternal. But here's what I kind of take from that. Jesus is sufficient even on the day of judgment. When we stand before a holy God to give an account for our lives, the main thing we're going to say is, I belong to Him. And what's going to happen? Enter into the joy of your Lord because of Jesus. Even judgment is said to be eternal. The priesthood of Jesus is said to be eternal. He represents us before the Father for all eternity. A priest, the ministry of the priest to represent the people before God, a holy God. We have a, a priest who is perfect and has eternal access to the Father on our behalf. The intercession of Jesus is said to be eternal in that it says, He always lives to make intercession for us. Always praying for us at the Father's right hand, representing us as our, as our priest, but praying, 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 interceding for us. Does that mean something? I think the prayers of Jesus mean a whole lot. And forever we have those prayers. Our redemption is said to be eternal, secured by Jesus for eternity. Our redemption. He has purchased us by His own blood for eternity. Not just for as long as we try to balance out the scales of good and bad. For eternity based on what He has done. He's redeemed us. He's given us His Holy Spirit who is not 
temporal. He is eternal. We're told that the Spirit of God is given to us, and that Spirit is eternal. Inheritance. The inheritance that you and I have in Christ is said to be eternal. We're said in other places in Scripture that we are joint heirs with Christ. We belong to Him, and all that is His becomes ours. Can you imagine that? Think of what is His. We're joint heirs with Christ. Our inheritance is through Jesus. Not given what we deserve, but given all that He has. That's the testimony of God's Word. And it, his, our inheritance is forever, eternal through Jesus. The covenant is also said to be eternal. The covenant of the Ten Commandments were broken all at once when Moses threw them on the ground. God gave them again because that wasn't the end of the commandments. But here, Hebrew says, God has made a new covenant prophesied by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, came true through the blood of Christ. He's written in our hearts a covenant, a binding agreement between God and man that he says is eternal. Those things are said to be eternal, and it is only in things eternal that we find the kind of contentment that we need in Christ. There's, there's something in the way that God has made us that makes us unsatisfied with anything less than that which is eternal. I've said this a lot, and I'll say it again, but I, I, it's some, maybe we can think of it like this anyway. You're going to go home today and you're going to eat a, a nice meal probably. Or maybe not so nice, but one, one, of the, one way or the other, you're going to eat and be satisfied for how long? Oh, about four or five hours. <laughs> then you're going to get hungry again and we're going to want to eat again. And then tomorrow we wake up and what are we wanting? We like to have some food. And there's a sense of eternal that is inside of us that our bodies don't understand. Uh, our bodies need sleep. We don't take one nap or one good night's sleep and think, well, that's good for years. No, it's not. But all of those things, I, I think that this, though, has to do not with our dissatisfaction, but it is something about the way God made us that only that which is eternal really brings that sense of contentment. Everything else is temporary. I go on a vacation, and you know what I'm thinking about before I get home? Where can we go next? You know, I'm, I'm, I think like that. Maybe you do. I don't know. Uh, how about if we stick to what our text talks about? How about money? Oh, my God. Keep yourself, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Um, well, is it wrong to want more? Is it wrong to ask for a raise? Absolutely not. But are we so in love with that that if we don't get it, our life is ruined? What if we don't get it? There's a contentment that way overshadows anything regarding vacations, income, meals, or anything else that is temporary. There's a contentment. We long for more 
whenever we're talking about anything that's temporal. The reason that's true. I, I love this. I love this. There is a, there's more to this verse than I'm going to read. But in Ecclesiastes 3.11, you remember that section that talks about there's a time for peace and there's a time for war, there's a time to live and a time to die. All of those times, you come down to verse 11 and there's a little phrase buried in there that says, God has put eternity into man's heart. There's something that God has planted in here that makes us know, though we live in time, there's something bigger than this going on. There is that longing for something that is bigger than that which time can bring or which money can bring or which a nice meal can bring or a nice vacation or anything else. What is the source of that kind of contentment that goes beyond time and circumstance? I think this is why the writer of Hebrews got our attention in the, one of the most practical ways in the world. The love of money. Be content with what you have. Does that mean don't have any ambition, don't ask for a raise, don't do anything? Don't improve your circumstances? It does not mean that. But I think we understand that if I love money and what it can do so much that I make an idol out of it, there's no way that's going to be pleasing to God. I think that's why the writer of Hebrews picks something so practical. But we haven't got the whole gist of it, have we? Keep your life free from the love of money. That's hard enough. But then he says, be content with what you have. That's even harder. Why? How can we do that? What's the basis of that? Well, he tells us. He quotes right from Joshua one five, and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the basis of that kind of contentment, knowing the presence of God with us. The reason for our contentment is the Lord's presence with us. We simply will never have that kind of contentment with just more money or more time to do what we want to do, or more attention, or more accolades, or more grandkids, <laughs> more anything will not bring this source of contentment. It can't, because there is no lasting contentment outside of Jesus. Jesus himself said it like this in Luke 12, 15. Jesus said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In case we didn't get it, Luke 12, 21, put it a different way. He said, listen, don't, don't be the guy who's just building bigger, bigger barns in order to fill them all up and to have all this stuff. Then you're going to die, and then whose will it be? Jesus said this. He told people to seek to be rich toward God. Rich toward God. Luke 12, 21, read it. Seek to be rich. I like that. Toward God. <laughs> Brings us back to reality here. 
Our life does not consist in what we have. Our life consists in knowing the Lord and knowing that He is with us and that He will not ever forsake us. Ever, ever, for all eternity. So, here's a summary statement. Listen to this. I had to write it down because it's so long. Listen to this. God is at work through His eternal Spirit, establishing His eternal covenant by giving His eternal salvation and His eternal redemption through His eternal Son, who is our eternal priest and our eternal intercessor, preparing us for an eternal judgment. Everybody get that memorized? <laughs> it's those eight things that are said to be eternal in Hebrews. I want to close. Just think about this with me for a minute. I've, I've just been thinking about this so much. Are we so consumed with the temporal? Are we too consumed with that which is related to time? We live in time. You know, we 24-hour day. We, we live in time. But it's so easy to be consumed by that which is temporal or bound by time that we lose sight of that which is supposed to be eternal. God has planted that sense of eternal in our hearts. And we recognize fully. I, I may have wonderful things happening in the course of this time. But those things are not eternal. When I was growing up and first sort of encountered the gospel... There were a lot of people who wrote tracts about it. This, quest, this question was everywhere because at that time it was okay to ask things like this and nobody got mad or threw stones, or maybe some did, but I didn't know about them. So it was this. Where will you spend eternity? You know, the older I get, the more I think that's a pretty good question. Where do we spend eternity? And what determines that? The scriptures are true, it all hinges on Jesus. Where do we stand with him? If we want to be content and we want that kind of something that satisfies this eternal urge within us that says forever and ever, the only way we know that forever answer is in Jesus. There's just not anywhere else. How does eternity that God has placed in the heart of man, how does eternity affect how we live now? Does it change what I'm going to do today and tomorrow? Does it change the way that I look at the people that I meet or that I look at my family? What does eternity do to my eyesight, my spiritual eyesight? How am I to be in this life rich toward God? <clears throat> can I ask you this do you have that kind of eternal contentment in Jesus do you have the kind of lasting contentment that will last longer than your job longer than your income 
longer than your family, longer than anything else. If Jesus is the only one who is sufficient to bring this kind of contentment into our lives, are we then willing to trust him with our eternal salvation? Lord, I give myself to you. I trust that in all eternity, you can hold me in your hands. You can be my priest. You can be my intercessor. You can be my savior. I won't find that anywhere else. Are we willing to say that, Lord, I trust you with that? Are we willing to look, look around to your husband or your wife or your family? Are you willing to say, I trust God with you? I trust God with you. What about our other relationships or our job? Are we willing to say, I trust God with that? What about our health? Lord, I trust you, my priest, my intercessor, my savior, my redeemer, my eternal salvation. I trust you even with my health. Jesus is the only thing that is sufficient for this life, and for eternity. He's the source of our contentment, of our joy, and our hope. Why? Because of his promise. I will absolutely never leave you or forsake you. My good health is not a guarantee. It may leave me. We have people right now in, in this church that are struggling and suffering. There's a limit to life. We will one day breathe our last. We look around at the people that we love the most and we recognize they may not always be there. I don't mean that to be sad. But that's the rea reality of that which is temporal. So God says, I'm putting something that's a sense of eternity in you. And I promise you that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And I want you to trust me with the here and now and with your eternity. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful, Lord, for that which is said to be eternal. Lord, even if we don't fully grasp all about it, Lord, we know that you're calling us to believe your promises, to trust your word, to lean on you, to believe you. And Father, we recognize even as we come to the table of celebrating the very gift of Jesus, his life's blood, his body given for us, paying the debt that we could not pay if we paid for all eternity, paying the debt of our sin. Lord, even as we think about that, we don't know how to respond except to say, thank you, Father. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for the glory of the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for being our continuing intercessor in this moment praying for your word to find a place to grow, Lord, in our hearts. Father, we say thank you, Lord. 
Thank you. We pray, Lord, that you would accomplish exactly what you want to do in every heart and life of every person in this room today. Lord, would you impress upon our hearts the truth, the reality of eternity. And would you bring to us, Lord, that kind of contentment in this life that just cannot come from any other source than you. We thank you. And Lord, we ask that as we celebrate together the, the giving of your son, we would do so, Lord, with a greater understanding. What we're celebrating today has eternal ramifications for it. Thank you, Lord, for the giving of your son. In whose name we pray.